And so in this series, uh, it's titled Shameless Life, we're talking about turning unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set at the right hand of God and majesty on high. Uh, and that's in uh, um, Hebrews chapter 12. So let's turn over there real quick. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I'm going to start with verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Well, who is this great cloud of witnesses that he's talking about? Well, this part of this great cloud of witnesses are these men and women in chapter 11, just a page or two before, that were people of faith. Uh, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, verse 21, Jacob, um, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph. Uh, verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel. It makes a difference what you speak and what you say. By faith, we understand that... The... Boom, he spoke and it was, it was everything was created. Well, because it is by faith that we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So you can't understand that except how? By faith. By your trust in God or by your turning to God in that arena and uh, in, in that way. And how do you turn to Him? Well, you turn away from your own thoughts, you turn away from anxiety, and you turn away from the world, and you're turning to something, you're turning to Jesus. That's why some people get really confused, like, well, to be born again, uh, you, 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 you know, some people say, well, you just have to confess. See, two weeks ago, they didn't blow their, they didn't toot their own horn, right? Uh, so, um, uh, some people say, well, to be born again, all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you get a whole other group of people that are like, no, 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 no. You weren't saved if you did that. Uh, you have to repent. Turn a burn, turn a burn. You got to repent. Well, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord or if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. In order to call upon the name of the Lord, in order to confess Him as Lord, you are by its essence and definition, you are letting go of and turning away from all these other things and turning towards Jesus. So you actually are repenting when you act in faith. So repentance is not a, it's not a bad word. It's not even a four-letter word. Right? Repentance actually means that you consider the direction and course of your life, where you're headed, and the outcome of that course, and you make a decision towards Jesus. In other words, you realize, you come to your senses, this is not good to be going this way. This, this is leading me down the wrong path. It may feel good right now, but in the long run, it's not good. Like, you may, like, have children, and you're thinking, I'm just going to spend all my time on social media, Googling stuff, doing this, doing that, and I'm going to give that to them and let them kind of, you know, I I'm busy, I'm tired, so I'm just going to let them do whatever they want. You should consider the outcome of your ways. Because the Bible says to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Bible says to train them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So you can't just give them a device and say, bye-bye, you just you know, live your life. You're responsible to God. Well, so you could repent. In other words, think like, what is the outcome of this decision that I'm making today? 
Because you know what? Tomorrow, today is gone. You only have today. I like uh, T.L. Osborne. He went on to be to heaven, uh, with the Lord in heaven, but, you know, he was a world evangelist, a world missionary. And uh, we were uh, so blessed to get to be in some of his meetings in Tulsa in 2005. And he did like seven or eight weeks of meetings. And so we were there, and um, I, I'll never forget it. I always pictured somebody with like a sickle or something um, in, in a field. And he said, you've only got one swath at life. Swing big. He said, and he said this in his 80s to us. He said, you, you'll be, your life will be over so much sooner than what you can imagine. He said, I don't know how I got to be this old. <laughs> he said, I could fall dead at any moment. <laughs> and you're thinking, please don't do that. <laughs> uh, but the point is, your life is like a fleeting mist. Like, I don't know if you're up early enough, but, you know, salt, where we were at and coming in, there was a bunch of fog. And uh, it's, that was like lingered longer than a fleeting mist because a fleeting mist in the mornings, it's just there for a little bit and gone. And so um, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And those things are everlasting, and those things are eternal. So some people, some people are like, you know, you need to invest for the future, so you need to uh, plan for your retirement and invest in all these type of things. Well, Proverbs talks about that, uh, doing that, so that's not a bad thing. But if that is where your hope is, and that is the end of your planning, you're a pretty poor planner, because, uh, and you're pretty unwise, because all of us at some point are no longer going to live in this body. Even if Jesus comes tomorrow and we're changing in the twinkling of an eye, we're not living in this body any longer. And so, and uh, the, the elements even of the earth will melt with fervent heat. So we look not at the things which are seen, or I would almost like to say, our gaze is not fastened to the things that are seen. Our gaze is fastened to eternal things that are in Christ Jesus. So uh, Wayne Myers, missionary to Mexico, many, many missions uh, can trace their heritage and roots back to him. I think that man, he was such a blessing. You know, some people think in the United States is the only place that we're blessed enough to give, give somebody a car that needs a car. You know what? That man, uh, last I had a count of him, I think in the, in the, by the 90s, he's a missionary to Mexico, and he had given 60 cars to people. Blessed him with 60 vehicles, not all at once, you know, over the course of his ministry life. And so uh, being a missionary doesn't mean being poor. You know, if you're a child of God, he takes care of you no matter where you're at. Uh, you can be uh, more of a blessing uh, than, than other people who don't trust him in that way. And so we look not at the things which are seen, but things which are not seen. Well, Wayne Myers said, uh, live life in light of eternity. Live life in the light of that eternity sheds on your path, is how I would say it, right? So you've you got a path, uh, you're living in, in a certain way, a certain life, and the light that should light your path should be an eternal light that comes from God so that you're seeing, wait a minute, the decision I'm making today is affecting someone's eternal life. The decision that I'm making with my money is affecting someone's eternal life. Uh, I'm using my money for the kingdom of God. The decision I'm using with my time is for the kingdom of God. The decision I'm using, you know, that, that I'm making for my children is, is an eternal decision. It's a kingdom decision that I'm going to implant in their precious hearts the plan of God, the word of God, the life of God, the anointing of the spirit of God so that they're not left helpless when I no longer have as much influence over their life. 
right? So I, I, I'm to lead, to guide, to protect, to teach, to train, uh, to show them. And that doesn't mean that I, I um, uh, beat them up. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm for corporal punishment, which is you apply the, what do they call it? You apply the something to the seat of learning. I can't remember that right now, but the rod of correction to the seat of learning, right? In other words, you have padding on the backside of you for a reason, okay? But we're not talking about abusing somebody. But you can't just, you can't just spank your children and say, like, I'm training them. Well, how would you train? I was going to because I saw Vitaly. I was going to say, how would you train a cat? But you can't, okay? So how would you train a dog? Well, maybe you can. Did you train your cat? Some people have trained their cat. I know, I don't remember who it is, but somebody told me they train their cat to go on the toilet, and the cat goes on the toilet. That is like a miracle of God to me. But anyhow, um, so, but if you're going to train an, an animal, let's say a dog or a horse or something, well, how are you going to train it? You're just going to, like, spank it all the time? You can spank a dog with a newspaper, makes a loud noise, you know, and whatever, they're supposed to help them. Uh, I've never trained a dog, not much. And so, um, but you train a horse. Well, I, I had a little bit of work with horses when I was younger, and so if I'm going to train a horse, uh, I'm not just going to smack the horse. I'm going to teach the horse. First, I'm going to take the horse. I'm going to put the horse on a lunge line, and I am going to, like, position its head the way I want its head, and I'm going to have its feet the way I want its feet, and I'm going to guide it through every step of, of whatever uh, portion of training I'm trying to do, I'm going to show it how to do every step. And then if it doesn't do it the first time, I'm like, that is a stupid horse. We're not dealing with that horse. No! You go again, repetitive, repeat. Again, this is how you do it. Oh, let me show you. So I'm not condemning the horse like, you are the dumbest horse I've ever seen. You'll never learn this. You can't do this. No, 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 no. I have patience uh, most of the time. I have patience, and I'm like, okay, no, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Well, if we do that with an animal which is not a God kind. How much more should we do that with children and young people, uh, whether they are physically young or maybe they're spiritual babes. They just came into the kingdom of God and you know, they're kind of like tripping all over themselves. No, we ought to have the patience of God. Uh, and that we're like, you know, patience in the Bible doesn't mean that we're patient with circumstances. It literally means that you are patient with people. Love is patient. So in other words, if, if you're not getting it, I'm not condemning you. I'm not uh, flush, flabbergasted and frustrated with you, but I am taking time and I'm making an investment into you. The fact that you're not getting it maybe should indicate to me that I'm not teaching it correctly. Or I'm not listening to the Spirit of God because, you know, train a child in the way he should go. So... Every child, according to the Bible, has a certain bent and a certain way about them. And so I can't train uh, my kids, whether, you know, Evie's a girl, of course, and the rest are boys. But even if I have two of the boys and I compare two of them, they're each different. They have, uh, you know, the way I speak to one might make a change just by my words. And the other, I may have to actually physically take and show I want you to walk over to them right now, and I want you to say, please forgive me, right? But I might be able to say one of them, go ask them to forgive you, and they'll go say, I forgive you. Well, so you talk about that. I love forgiveness, talking about forgiveness, and uh, hopefully we'll get there in just a second. So in forgiveness, like if you're training a child, then if I'm saying, um, can I pick on you, Isaac? 
If I'm saying, Isaac, I want you to forgive Daniel, my two middle children, right? So if I say, Isaac, I want you to forgive Daniel, and he says, um, Daniel, I forgive you. That is not training my child. Yeah, he's mouthing the words. He's doing what, what I said in words, but he's not actually forgiving from his heart. So that's, that's not going to get the job done. Or, um, you know, I want him to understand his brother's uh, perspective. Or if, if he did something uh, wrong to his brother, he just dominated over him. I want him to be able to understand how that made his brother feel. Empathy, right? You have to teach children empathy because uh, every human wants to be just self-centered, right? And just me, 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 me. So what happens? Well, you get people that grow up to be adults that were never trained according to godly character, and now they are 40, let me just use myself, 45-year-old people without empathy. In other words, I'm going to do what I want. I don't care. Uh, I don't whatever. Well, um, many times the reason for that is is there is an unresolved um, shame in their life. So there's, some people have whole ministries where they go back into people's past. I don't really believe in that. Jesus went into my past and kind of took care of it. However, if you have never let the love of Jesus Christ perfect you, you need to deal with it. So let, let, let's look over real quick at um, 1 John chapter uh, 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. So still, if we're talking about training children, there is no fear in love. So your children shouldn't be in fear of you. Not that kind of fear. They ought to have a holy reverence, you know. <laughs> Understand, listen, like, uh, you know, one person said, uh, I brought you into the world, I'll take you out, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, they should honor your father and mother that it may go well with you that you live long on the earth. So if children are going to have a good life, and sickness and disease is not a good life, and poverty is not a good life, and lack of opportunity is not a good life. Well, if children are going to have a good life, they have to learn how to honor their father and mother a good life and a long life. A good long life that it may go well with them that they live long on the earth. Well, uh, perfect love casts out all fear. Fear has torment. So we're talking about living free from shame. So I'm going to read a couple other translations of 1 John 4.18. Amplified says, There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. Fear brings with it the torment, or excuse me, the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. Message translation says, there is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear since fear is crippling a fearful life fear of death fear of judgment is one in uh, is one not yet fully formed in love in other words if i'm disciplining my children and they have this kind of fear they got fear of judgment 
Like, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen if mom and dad find out what I actually did? Well, if I create that environment, what are they going to do? Did you do that? No. He did it. I mean, they may do some of that on their own, too, but, you know. You create a, the, this, this environment where you're just going to be pounced on and attacked when you messed up. Well, that will affect them not just while they're in my house, but that will affect them when they're my age or older. That will affect their perception even of the Lord. So uh, perfect love casts out all fear. Let's read uh, a couple other translations. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We have not fully experienced His perfect love. So, uh, you know, you talk about, let me go back real quick, and I'll pick up in in that translation again. Um, And I want to read, in connection with that, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.2 message. We refuse to wear masks, or I'll read uh, King James first. We have renounced the hidden things of shame. Renounced the hidden things of shame. Message says, we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes, and we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, so that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. We refuse to wear masks and play games. We've renounced the hidden things of shame. And so shame causes you to hide and and, and cover up. And so sometimes people uh, have an issue with shame, and so they'll kind of be like... um, really timid and really shy, and that'll be the reaction to the shame. Other people will just be like, you know, I'm the most awesome person ever because they have a little voice on the inside saying, you're the most unawesome person ever. And so uh, they're trying to put up this front, and, uh, you know, basically bullies do this. That's why if you stand up to a bully most of the time, you'll find out they're actually like the devil, uh, all talk and, you know, no power. And so... Um, but it's a, it's a human flesh reaction, right? So let me, let me read just a couple other scriptures here and uh, give us a, a better picture. So Romans chapter 10, verse 11 says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be ashamed. Who's him? Jesus. Right? Looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12. Whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. So in other words, if I'm believing, my foundation of belief is on someone else besides him, I'm going to have shame show up in my life. So you see, shame is not just for people that have done like terrible things or had terrible things happen to them. Uh, Shame slips in so easily and every human has to deal with shame and should reject the shame. Uh, you know, should despise the shame like Jesus. In other words, he held it in low regard. He's like, I'm not going to magnify this shame. I'm not going to elevate this shame. I'm going to hold it in low regard because uh, I have a joy that's set before me. And he said, that is your salvation and my salvation. That is your life and my life. So because of that, he held the shame of the cross in low regard. And like we talked about last week, that cross was not like it is today. The cross is a thing of honor today. But back then, it was not a thing of honor. It's the most disgusting criminals, uh, the, the, the worst evil people, uh, the, the worst acts that had been done. Those people hung on the cross and were cursed because they hung on the cross. 
And so Jesus came and he turned what was man's shame into man's glory. He turned into what was man's condemnation and man's self. So Jesus, when he came to the cross, uh, he came to uh, change everything. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Psalm 69 uh, describes Jesus on the cross. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek you be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel, because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. And then verse 19, uh, you have known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Well, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And this was, he was speaking of being lifted up on the cross, right? So sometimes I think we look at him on the cross. We say, yeah, he's on the cross there. Jesus is on the cross. But what is on Jesus on the cross? Our sins, our nature to sin, our sickness, our disease. So if I be lifted up, in other words, when I see Jesus on the cross, I don't see just him alone on the cross. I see him up there with my sins, with my inabilities, with my weaknesses, with my sickness, with my poverty. So in other words, he took it from me. He took it from you on himself. And listen, listen to what he, what he said here in Psalms. He said, um, reproach has broken my heart. So he took my broken heart. And I am full of heaviness. So he took my heaviness. So I see him with my broken heart. I see him with my heaviness when I look to him on the cross. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. You ever heard, found this thought rolling around in you? Nobody really cares about me. Nobody really knows. I'm rejected of all men. No, Jesus was rejected of all men so that we could be accepted of God himself. He took the rejection that you could ever experience at any time that people are like, well, there's something wrong with you. Why are you doing that? Yet, you know, the reason you're doing it is because God is leading you in that path and in that direction. You have confidence towards God. So don't let the voice of people which sometimes makes more sense to your mind, have more power and more authority in your life than the voice of God. Imagine if Jesus had done that. You know what the people said? You need to come in here like a conquering king and just destroy everyone that's against you. That's how the devil thinks. And that's how the devil thought. But Jesus said, oh no. I don't want to be the only one that's free. I don't want to be the only one that lives without shame. He said, I have to go and I have to experience the shame at every point that man could ever possibly exist in so I can defeat it at every single point, uh, every single place. In other words, Jesus experienced our sin and our lack and our shame at, at the... Um, greatest extent or the furthest point of every point of shame so that he could take it away from every single one of us, no matter where we're at, no matter what we've experienced, no matter what has been done to us, or no matter what we did to someone else, he took it away so that we didn't have to have it and he didn't have to dominate us. Back to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, 
seeing we're a compass with so great a cloud of witnesses, verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of... the King James says our faith, but that's actually not in the original Greek. It literally says that's why it's our is in italics. It literally says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the author of faith doesn't mean um, that he is the author of our faith, although he is. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying uh, that he is the first and the last, that he is uh, the occupying person of faith, that he is the most complete model of faith that is placed before us. If you want to see what faith looks like, this is what Hebrews is saying. He is the author of faith. Uh, you know, I think of somebody, they're the author, maybe they have an invention or something, and so they created this, and maybe, maybe uh, you know, it's something um, widely known. My uncle, actually, this is not widely known, but my great uncle, uh, before he passed away, he died at 104, he, um, he made analog brakes that were hydraulic. And what that just means is he made these little cylinders in it, and so basically it goes right in your brake lines, you put it in your brake lines, and then when you push the brakes, it hits the, the fluid hits the spring, and it goes like this, and he could stop faster than the computer-controlled electronic ones, right? So he had this invention. So if, if I want to know how his hydraulic analog brakes worked, he's the best one for me to talk to because he's the author of them. Like, he's the designer, and actually he was not only the designer and the engineer, he was the fabricator. So he actually designed it and made it and put it all together. So if I really wanted to know, uh, Uncle Chuck, how do these things work? Well, he's going to tell me. And he would always tell me by, you know, at this time, he's in his 80s, and so I'm driving with him, and he had a a souped-up Buick. And so he would drive, and he'd say, you know what? He's like, you know these analog brakes, they work really good. And about that time, we're just driving down the road, 45, 50 miles an hour. He just slams on the brakes as hard as he can. He's like, and they go, he's like, see, no skidding. And you're like picking yourself off the dash, you know, because you're still moving. But Jesus has the preeminence because he is the first and the last. He is the model of faith. He's above every else. He's a case that stands all by himself. And so um, he is the relation. He is called the Alpha and the Omega. In Hebrews, he's, he's called the author and the finisher of faith. In other words, he is the completion of faith. And he is the beginning of faith, and he is the model of faith. And when we look to that, to him, it's like looking in a mirror, and we begin to see, wait a minute, this is who I am. This is what I'm to do. He has made us holy. He has taken blame away from us, and he's done this in love. And he is, uh, we are accepted in him. In verse 7, we are redeemed in him, and we are forgiven in him. So let me read a couple other translations of verse 4. Message says, Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. 
to be made whole and holy by his love way before the foundation of the earth, way before man came on the scene, way before he created all, everything you see and know, he created it for mankind, and way before he did that, he predestined us and settled on us as the focus of his love to be, just do a little more, God will love you. If you could do this, if you could. so religion wants to get us to perform good enough to be accepted by God. But the relationship that we have with God comes through His Son, Jesus Christ, and that relationship says, stop looking at yourself. Don't focus on yourself because you're going to move in the direction that you focus on yourself. Release your focus on what you can do. Release your focus on what the world says you should do and you should think and you should be and grab hold, latch hold, and never let go of Jesus Christ that your focus is on Him, that your hope is in Him, that your strength is in Him, that your future is in Him, that your ability is in Him, and that you have a life that no longer has shame that we could be made whole and holy by His love. So it's been. But instead of those being, a, 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 what do you call it, a, a weight that we are to carry, that is a river that we flow in. When we put Jesus first and we look to him, the outflow of our gaze upon him is his life having freedom to flow in us and through us. Glory to God. That's so good. Oh, hallelujah. In other words... You don't have to be poor one more day in your life. You don't have to be sick one more day in your life. You don't have to be depressed one more day in your life. You don't have to be um, shameful one more day in your life. You don't have to be um, thinking, this is really hard. This is difficult for me. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's so, so frustrating. Life is difficult. I didn't expect it to turn out this way. I can't believe it turned out this way. Don't think that way one more day in your life. Make a change right now and look to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, there is such a life that flows from Him. I did not come up with this. Jesus said the Holy Spirit himself, if he lives in you, he will make your body live. He will make it live. Well, what happens if I had COVID in my body or on my body? What happened when I had COVID on my body? You know what it would be? It would be a big term called incipient death. What does that mean, Daniel? Incipient death. I'm just kidding. Okay. It means... It means... Death in its initial and beginning form. It's the seeds of death. In other words, well, COVID maybe is a bad example because a lot of people would think, yeah, you could kill you. Okay. But a cold, a common cold is incipient death. If your body does not fight that off or if God does not heal you and deliver you from that, that cold will kill you. So sickness and disease is the seeds of death itself. And it is death in its initial uh, manifestation we would call it or its initial form showing up in our body and so Jesus said I have come that you might have life and that you would have that in abundance so he didn't come so that we could just life that I, I have lived I have like be like Paul I have run my race I have finished my course right and so uh, the only way you get that is if you live by faith without faith it's impossible to please God stand with me if you would now, we went a little over. We had an extra testimony, so uh, hopefully your grace is with me. Praise the Lord. Uh, God is good. 
His mercies are new every morning. His mercy endures forever. If you're here in the room, if you'd uh, close your eyes and um, bow your head, and if you're a Christian, if you'd just be praying, uh, you can pray uh, in the Holy Spirit or you can pray in your understanding, but we create an atmosphere uh, for the move of God and for God to move in. Psalm chapter 107, verse 4 through 9 says, uh, Some of you wandered for years in the desert, looking but not finding a good place to live, half-starved and parched with thirst, staggering and stumbling on the brink of exhaustion. In your desperate condition, call out to God. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like, you know, I'm just wandering around. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's happening. Uh, everything's turning out bad for me. Seems like every time I turn around, I make a mistake. Or maybe, maybe you're at the opposite end of that spectrum. Maybe you're kind of like, you know, I can do this myself. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need any of this. Well, let me tell you, you may be on a high right now, but that is not lasting. And God has a plan for you that you could be free from yourself, whether you're living in shame or whether you're living full of pride, that you don't have to live for yourself and you can live for Jesus. And that plan involves receiving His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and as your Savior. So if you're here this morning and you'd like to do that or you're online, I want to tell you this. You cannot do enough good things to to garner the favor of God. In other words, if I just do enough good things, he'll accept me. Uh, No, uh, the Bible says he that has kept the whole law, all the rules, um, except for one thing, he's guilty of all of it. If you're guilty of any of it, you're guilty of all of it. Well, none of us are perfect, so all of us are guilty of the whole law. So all of us are in the same position. The only way to get free from that and free from yourself is to give your life to Jesus. That you're saying, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus. Uh, I'm going to do His will and His plan. And I will tell you, that is the only way that you'll have satisfaction in life. That is the only way that you'll have what Jesus called an abundant life. Uh, If you want to do that, in about 10 seconds, I'm going to pray. And I want you to make a decision right now in your heart. Yeah, I'm I'm going to receive Jesus. Uh, I'm going to follow him. I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm not going to respond uh, with my flesh. I'm going to follow my heart. Where you make this decision is the same place that you forgive a relationship with someone that is very special to you. If you have to forgive them uh, or ask them to forgive you, you do that from your heart. If you really mean it and want it to have an effect. And so same place, that's where you trust God and believe God and you become a child of God. Uh, Hebrew, uh, Romans chapter 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we're going to do that in just a second. And uh, I want you to do that with us. So three, two, one, decide right now. I'm coming to Jesus. If you want to do that, I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to repeat after me uh, from your heart. The words that I say, I want you to repeat them. And if you do it from your heart, you will be saved according to the Bible. Believers here can can do it out loud with me. Say, oh God, I'm coming to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross to take away my sins, to make me right with you. I believe that you raised him from the dead. And I take Jesus right now as my Lord, as my Savior. Jesus, you're my Lord. Father God, thank you for bringing me into your family. 
changing my whole life. In Jesus' name, amen.